Hi, everyone. Welcome to Millennium Live, a digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. We are here launching our first podcast episode featuring executive, activist, and entrepreneur, Sarah Rob O'Hagan. As CEO of indoor cycling company Flywheel Sports, Sarah is known to most as Superwoman Undercover. We had a chance to sit down with Sarah to talk leadership style, retail technology and sports, and everything in between. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Millennium Live, and thank you for joining us at Digital Retail Transformation Assembly Sorry, as well. So, just to start off, you've recently released a book, Extreme You, which is based upon the movement Extreme Living. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about the movement and what it means to be an extremer? Yeah, so it's basically a little bit of a cultural shift that I'm trying to push at here, and because I believe in the last, gosh, 15, 20 years, when we really saw the self-esteem movement kick in and we started giving kids trophies for showing up and like setting expectations that to be really successful, all we had to do was participate. And I think most of us, particularly in business, know that that's not the case. So the idea of extreme living is to really live to your own potential and be willing to sort of take risks and fail and discover the essence of who you are at your best and constantly push yourself to live that way, whether it's you as a leader or you as a business and a brand. Absolutely. So your tagline, step up, stand out, kick ass and repeat, is that like a recipe for becoming an extremer? <laughs> yeah, the, I, li- I actually like the repeat part the best because what I did in the book is um, I interviewed 25 of the world's most highly accomplished people from all different walks of life, like Condoleezza Rice, the mm-hmm. former Secretary of State, um, Bodie Miller, the skier, some entrepreneurs, the White House chef, like all sorts of people. And what I tried to do is distill, like, what does it take to be relentlessly successful and living at the top of your potential? And what they all do is kind of go through a cycle and get to mastery and then break themselves and start over. And so that was the notion of repeat. It's like, you don't ever get to being the top of extreme you. You have to keep going. <laughs> yeah, the last chapter, Break Yourself to Make Yourself, yeah. is a really interesting like, chapter name. Yes. It's sort of right at the end of the book as well. You kind of don't expect it to yes. come right there. Yeah, um, so, I mean, I have read the book and it's absolutely fantastic. Oh, it's full you. of personality. I can hear you as I was reading it and very different to other business books out there. So all of the interviews with the extreme, as you mentioned a few there. Yeah. But, you know, what really made you decide to write? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it actually all started gosh, about five years ago when I had just um, got through the leading the turnaround of Gatorade, which was a, you know, distressed business coming through the recession that needed to go through a pretty epic turnaround. And it was one hell of a journey. Um, And afterwards, as is often the case for us in business, everyone wants to write about it. And I suddenly found my name on all these great lists of greatness and I would feel so uncomfortable because people would talk about me being really great at this and not the really embarrassing failures that had happened along the way. And I suddenly, the more I thought about it and I looked to sort of our culture of success in general, and I started to realize that's happening everywhere. And if you're a young person, it's incredibly confusing to make it look like to be really successful, you have to be perfect. You have to be taking all the right steps. And so I suddenly realized it's time that someone kind of got a little bit vulnerable, showed the embarrassing parts. Yes, I got fired twice in my 20s. <laughs> I talked about it like uh, in depth in the book. But I also said to all the people that I interviewed, I don't want to hear the success part. I mean, that's awesome. And we want to hear some of that. But tell us the vulnerable stuff yeah. that people haven't heard, because I think those are the stories that 
we can all relate to in terms of trying to figure out how to be our best. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just sort of starting my career now about yeah. five years in and to, to hear that other people have made big failures <laughs> is actually just really, really reassuring. <laughs> to be honest. So what advice would you give for budding writers out there who are thinking yeah. of, you know, doing something like this themselves? That's a great question. Um, what I will say is it was a lot of work, more than I probably anticipated. I do think there's a real shift at the moment to business leaders writing books and all that sort of thing, and which I think is great. That said, I think to make a great book, you have to really throw yourself all in. And certainly for me, I actually quit my job for a year to oh, do wow. it. And, and I really put a lot of thought into making sure I did the writing because I think that's another piece too. It's easy to delegate everything these mm. days. But um, I worked with a great partner who really helped me shape it and architect the book which was massively important I couldn't have done it on my own but I also made sure I actually really wrote the words mm. so that it it really came from an authentic place yeah you can definitely see that because it's full of personal antidotes as well yeah. some of which I was rolling on the floor laughing <laughs> others of which were just incredibly expiring but you also talk about things like you know how your morning run has acted as an anchor for you throughout yes. your career so is that time still as important to you now later on in your career and I also wondered you know what song gets you pumped yes. and out the door come rain or come shine <laughs> <laughs> yes. I actually have examples of songs for different meeting scenarios because um, I, I remember a very specific time in my career going into a tough, tough meeting around the Gatorade turnaround and listening to Eminem's Lose Yourself to really like get myself <laughs> there. Failure is not an option, you know. <laughs> but no, I, I think what's interesting is physical fitness is a big thread of the book for sure. And certainly it always has been for me. And I have always found that physical strength equals mental and emotional strength. Like if you are going into a tough meeting, presentation, negotiation, having that moment in the morning, whatever it is, to get strong and be alone and just work out and do something good for your body is very, very empowering. And that's definitely a thread that has worked for me throughout my entire career. I definitely am broader in my workouts now than I probably once was. But I think it's it was something I heard from all the people I interviewed too, how they had that time to themselves, whatever it is. Some, for some people, it's going for a walk. For others, it's playing pickup basketball. But just putting that time into sort of building the physical strength that really helps empower. I think it's channeling the energy as well. Like you have yes. pent-up energy for a meeting. It's like yes. you need to release it yes. and like, you know, focus in on what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, you know, as we've said, you've been very honest about your career in the book, talking about successes and failures. So if you could go back in time now, what would you say to your 20-something-year-old <laughs> self? I say this as a 20-something-year-old. Yeah, so right. I'm to see what this piece of yeah. advice will be. <laughs> I think I would say just chill out a bit. Like, I think in my 20s, I was so worried about making sure I was progressing fast enough and keeping up and getting to where I was going. And now that I look back at the age of 45 and I'm like, shit, it's going by too fast. You know, <laughs> I wish it would slow down. But I think more importantly, I realize now that for me and certainly for the other people I interview, these steps backwards into the sides were as important as the steps upwards. And I think when you're young, you don't, you almost worry, oh my God, I'm being sidelined or someone's asking me to take a sidestep instead of a promotion, is that bad? No, it's actually not. And the other thing I loved was that most of the people in the book actually didn't really know what their true passion and gift was until well into their 30s, which is awesome, right? It gives you that sense of, okay, 
it's okay. You can yeah, take a little time. time. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, like, a part of the book that really spoke to me was when you talked about understanding your weaknesses almost as much as you understand your strengths. And, like, a little quote, you, know, you talked about how extremists have to meet whatever challenges come along, including in their own areas of weaknesses. Yes. Now, this seems to be a more poignant message than really ever before, yes. especially with millennials, as you yes. said, this whole idea that participation is enough. Yeah. But how do you bridge the gap between millennial expectation mm-hmm. and sort of workplace reality in a way yeah. that's not just shocking them all out of the yeah. workplace? <laughs> yeah, that would not be good. No, not the fear of coming to work. <laughs> well, you know what I think is, and I, I really got inspired discovering this with all the interviews I did, is that ultimately the message I would love to give to every millennial is that for you to be really fulfilled and happy, you actually have to have achieved things under your own steam, like sort of pushed, got uncomfortable, you know, had failures and overcome them. That makes you feel amazing. And so don't be scared is what I would say. You know, I think this, there is a feeling of like, wait, why is it not just easy? But actually the struggle is so much what makes the success really amazing and joyful and brilliant at the other end. So it's kind of like it's part of the process, and I think it's okay. I mean, one of the great people I uh, researched with in the book was actually a young millennial who is doing a PhD on what it is to be passionate. And he taught me that passion is made, not found. Like this idea of go find your passion, it's actually just hard work that gets people to become very passionate. And when you know that, I think you kind of go, okay, it's all right. That's what it all takes. Part of the process. Well, when I was reading it, it made me think of that dreaded interview question. I think we all, all, all hate it. What's your biggest weakness? I've yes. had it a couple of times yes. and just been, oh, what am I going to say? Yes. So how would you answer that now? Well, it's funny. I love that you brought this up because I definitely remember at your age being told by every career counselor, mm-hmm. never admit to a weakness. Come up with something like I can't cook. Don't yeah. admit to a weakness. And I remember being hardwired when that question came, like I would have all these answers. And then once I got to the phase where I got fired twice and I was in an interview situation where you couldn't avoid it, like it was fairly obvious there were big gaps in my resume and I had to explain them. And I suddenly discovered that when you can say, I had this epic failure and from it, I learned that I have this weakness, which means I know how to manage this weakness, i.e. I'm going to surround myself with other people, partner with people, know when it's, I'm getting out of my zone of comfort. Suddenly, the interviewer is like, oh, that's awesome, mm-hmm. right? And secondly, I think you suddenly have taken the fear of someone finding out away, you <laughs> yeah. know, and you're owning it. And it feels really empowering. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to remember that next time I get asked it. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been involved in so many amazing marketing initiatives mm-hmm. as a marketer myself. So many of them were standing out to me in the book. But one in particular, which I do actually remember, was the Virgin Shag Atlantic, <laughs> which still to this day, I think is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> so I just kind of want to know, like, where did the idea come from? And like, what was it like pitching someone like Richard Branson? I know, right? <laughs> The funniest part of the story, actually, which I didn't say in the book, was I remember when my boss at Virgin, he said to me, go fly to LA, Richard's going to be in town, go pitch it to him. And so I pitched it. And Richard just loved it immediately. And he was so into the idea. And my reaction was like, oh, but I I better make sure my boss is okay with this too. And Richard's like, it's okay. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you do own the whole thing. Yeah, got it. Um, but the idea actually came up from, we had an amazing um, ad agency, and at the time we were trying to sort of differentiate ourselves in terms of our services to London, but with the attitude that we 
had and along comes the Austin Powers movie and it was just like could this possibly be more perfect as a as a tie-in and our ad agency um honestly I just think the creative work was so brilliant the minute you saw it it was like how is this not gonna happen <laughs> yeah and it, could, it completely sticks in your mind as totally. well which is exactly what you want yes. from a good advert yeah so you know talked about being an extremer, but how can business leaders identify and nurture extremers in their own teams, in their own businesses? Because yeah. it's, it's not necessarily easy to see that kind of person come through, yes. you know, in an interview stage, whatever it could be. Yeah. And, and I definitely think I have learned from working for amazing bosses, actually, and wanting to emulate their style a little bit, that I think it's human nature that, you know, as leaders, the further we get up, the more we suddenly go, oh, my God, I'm supposed to have all the answers. That that's what people are expecting of me. But when you tell someone below you how to do their job, you are taking away the um, the need for them to make sure they're successful because you're bearing all the risk. If I say to you, I need you to do this this way, you're like, well, if it screws up, you tell me to do it, right? Yeah. Whereas if I say to you, I'm trying to get to here, you go figure it out, you will find so much harder to make your idea succeed. And it's so funny, like I learned that from having amazing leaders above me that kind of brought out this drive in me because they gave me opportunity and it made me go, that's what we all need to do to bring out the extreme and those around us is give them those opportunities, provide them the air cover and support and guidance but let them figure it out. And let them fail as well. Totally. Like, you know, yes. Let them have that failure yes. in potentially a more safer environment. Yeah. Um, so you've gone from a mentee to a mentor, mm-hmm. speaking of leaders. Mm-hmm. So what is the first gem of wisdom you impart Ooh. to new mentees? <laughs> it's funny, and I'm still a mentee. Like I, I get a lot of amazing mentoring actually from people every level around me it's funny like millennials are amazing like because they can teach me to be I I can sometimes put sort of guardrails in front of me whereas they can just see through any boundary which I love but my probably biggest piece of advice is always without risk does not come great reward you have to be willing to swing hard and you have to be willing to take the consequences. You know, mm-hmm. that's the thing is like, but know that those consequences, even if they are failure, will do so much more for progressing you forward than if you didn't try at all. That's so true. That's so true. So we're going to help our audience out a little bit now. Um, we're going to ask them, I'm sure they'd all love to know, how can they work for you? Oh, <laughs> what do you look for in a new hire? <laughs> <laughs> we'll give them a leg up. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. What I look probably the most for is just fire in the belly, initiative, like willingness to step up and take on responsibility to drive the business forward in ways that I wouldn't know how to. So I tend to find like a lot of people I think have been trained like to have the perfect resume and get everything lined up and have the perfect answer. And I try very hard in the interview process to get around the corner (laughs) and find, okay, give me some real insight and examples of where you have taken the initiative and created opportunity for the team around you. And that can happen, frankly, in high school. Mm. You might have had stories where you've done that. But it can also happen in small ways, not necessarily in big ways. You may not even realize the impact that the initiative has had. I think sometimes when you ask these questions, you you think you have to come up with this, oh, this made X number of revenue, or I got X number of leads, or whatever it might be. And it always has to be big. But actually, often the smallest thing has the biggest impact. And that's quite definitely good to hear. So you've had experience working in multiple industries, from airlines to beverages, and obviously now in sports. Mm -hmm. Having made the leap 
several mm. times. How do you prepare yourself, mm. for, you know, coming into a new industry? Yeah. And the first thing I would say is that um, I believe that the system is designed to make us fit in. And like when you start your career in one industry, the recruiters tend to want you to stay in that industry. And it is hard to break out. And because I remember at the beginning thinking, okay, six years or eight years in airlines, whatever it was, I want to go work in sports. Why would I not work in sports? I look like I could work in sports. And the recruiters were like, no, you're an airline person. I'm like, no, I'm not. Yes, no, I'm not. <laughs> and so you have to figure out how to get creative to get outside those walls. And that's like, you know, coming up with ways to get experiences that are relevant for the place you're trying to get to. But what I will say is every instance, like going from airlines to retail to sports to beverages, it was unbelievably hard at the beginning because it was like, I'm in the deep end. I have zero understanding of what all these crazy terms are. And so the only answer is you just have to shut your mouth and open your ears and just build relationships ask for help. I mean, the reason I got fired early in my career was when I was in a new industry, I was way over my skis. I was too scared to ask for help. <laughs> and so in the end, I was making bad decisions and that's a bad place to be. So it's okay to be vulnerable and say, hey, I'm trying to figure this out. Yeah. The humility part of the book was, I think, really, really interesting. Yeah. And it really sort of helped to put bring your story to light as well yeah. and you know it was very interesting to hear about all the extremists who really had had that moment oh yeah but you know they had to take a step back and learn <laughs> yes. that actually right now my mouth needs to be shut yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so having recently taken on the role of ceo at flywheel sports what's exciting you about this new oh opportunity everything <laughs> um i am so excited flywheel is um a boutique indoor cycling uh, company and let me tell you, it is the coolest place to work <laughs> because we have the most amazing team of people, um, 1,300 strong. And like I go into our studios, I mean, what's not to love? I get to sweat, hang out and like with a really high energy group of people. Um, but what excites me the most is actually what's going on in the retail landscape in general. You see in fitness what happened in sort of traditional retail probably 20, 30 years ago when we all moved from the department store to the boutique. The same thing's happening. We're moving from the full-service gym to these really cool boutique concepts. And I personally think that we're just at the beginning of the growth trajectory. And I'm really excited by the potential for where we can take it, learning actually from all the other great retail concepts out there. And I think um, there's a lot of opportunity to think with today's technology world, like how do you make that a far more engaging omni-channel experience? So we're definitely exploring a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's so exciting. Actually, when we announced that you were coming to Keynote at our event, just in, yeah. internally in our office, so many people walked straight up to Nick and said, I love Flywheel. Oh, it's my favorite. Yay. Like, let me meet her. Let me have a picture with her. <laughs> All of that kind of stuff. Caroline in particular, she's probably great. hovering outside the door waiting for a picture. It's great. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so as some businesses grow some have sort of let a fear lead them to favor say institution mm. over creativity mm. or you know inspiration so how do you mm. keep that from happening yeah. and really encourage creative thinking amongst your team well I feel quite lucky <laughs> not that I planned this but going from working in for example music retail when Napster came along and the whole mm. industry got disrupted and Virgin actually doesn't exist anymore yeah. you know compared to a Nike or a Virgin that constantly innovate and push themselves forward, I feel like I had the total opposite experiences to see what it's like when fear and institutional thinking sets over <laughs> versus when you just keep getting yourself to be uncomfortable. And 
So therefore, I feel like it just has become so clear to me. I mean, even leading the turnaround of Gatorade, which was one hell of a journey, it would have been a lot easier had it not gone backwards in the first place, which was honestly to do with institutional thinking. And it took a lot more work to turn something around than it would have been to break ourselves when we were at sort of the top of our game. So I think with that in mind, it's just like, especially the technology, the speed of innovation today, you have no option but to constantly get yourself uncomfortable. And that's honestly why I wrote the book, both as a leader, like what are you going to do to get yourself learning new things, coming to great conferences like this? And what are you going to do as a business to say, I'm going to get out of what's working today to push the team to work in different ways? Um, so obviously, we spent a lot of time today at Digital Retail Transformation Assembly uh, talking about the latest retail trends and technology. So, you know, as you've mentioned, there's a lot out there. Is there anything in particular that's really catching your eye right now? Gosh, there's so much. I mean, <clears throat> I think specific to my world, I mean, obviously, the Internet of Things, how everything's becoming connected becomes really interesting when I think about the fitness experience. Like we are at the beginning of connecting the dots on all of the data that people want to collect. We see everyone everywhere wants to collect data, but now we have an opportunity to get much smarter about how we connect the dots for them and then turn it into really interesting insights to motivate them. So that's how I'm thinking about things. Yeah, I mean, when we when we did our um, interview before the event a couple of months ago, now you actually said the phrase uh, "data rich but knowledge yes. poor," and I was like, that is so that's so yes. true of many industries totally. actually, not just retail. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how we finally start to use this. Yes. Um, so it's not long until your keynote presentation begins, a couple of hours to yes. go. Um, but can you give us a little sneak peek about what you're going to be talking about this afternoon? Yes. Um, I'm excited. I got really fired up when I was planning for this one because um, I think. What excites me about this conference actually is the audience uh, because you obviously attract just a wide array of industries, but really interesting people from those industries. And so I definitely have planned um, some provocative thinking, like to get people uncomfortable. I am totally willing to get there and share some of the warts and all. <laughs> and I'm um, excited to share a little bit about, a little tiny bit about what Flywheel is doing too. So. That sounds great. I'm, for one, really looking forward to it. I will be at the back taking pictures and tweeting yeah. the whole time. Oh, cool. Um, but you can buy Sarah's book, Extreme You, now. It's out now. So you just have to visit her website, www.extremeu.com, for details. Thanks for listening. And be sure to check out our other interviews exclusively on Digital Diary.